Hello everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. We have a special guest today. We've got Alex Buckner. Alex Buckner is a English short game specialist coach. He specializes in coaching a lot of the tour professionals on the DP World Tour, which is formerly European Tour, um, Euro Pro and Challenge Tour. Alex has spent the last few years really sort of honing in on, on what it takes to be a great wedge player. And we wanted to get Alex on because in terms of short game, when it comes to wedge play, it's a big pain point for a lot of people. In terms of ball striking and when you get close to the green, it sometimes can be quite anxious. And if you can make this part of your game better, it takes so much pressure off the rest of the game. So in this podcast, we talk about some of the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to some of the concepts that they have in their mind. We talk about acceleration, how to develop confidence with your short game, what to do from 30 to 50 yards, probably the hardest part of the short game, and what equipment you should be using, talking about bounce and also wedge makeup. Loads in this one that is really gonna help you when it comes to your wedge play, so stay tuned, and let's get to the podcast. Please welcome Alex Buckner. So, Alex Buckner, welcome to the podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm very good, thank you. How are you guys? Yeah, all good over good. here, all good over here. So it's a big time at the moment. You're in between coming back from the Masters coaching out there, which was to me, it must have been an amazing experience, and actually getting married at the end of May. So uh, you've probably got uh, a lot on at the moment. Uh, just just loads. Uh, you know, still letting it sort of all sink in. I'm not entirely sure which is warmer, to be honest, back in England <laughs> or over in America. It's boiling, isn't it? But, um, but yeah, no, loads of stuff going on. Not sure what to concentrate on career or uh, or personal life <laughs> so much to struggle but it's uh no it's good to be busy they're good problems to have so no loving every minute of it it does depend on who's listening to this podcast as to which way you answer that obviously right let's get straight into <laughs> let's get straight into this though as well because we've got some what we feel are some really good discussion points here we know we've spent time with you before we know that you know a lot about the short game and i want to really get into this straight away when we talk about concepts, we know that concepts with golfers, whether it's elite golfers or whether it's average golfers, they can often rule the outcome and the way they perceive things for up to, you know, you know, for years of their playing golf. What's the biggest misconception that you see or the biggest mistakes that you see when it comes to, let's say, chipping? From, from an outcome perspective. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, just just based on what, what what is it's almost like what is the, the the bugbear that you have or the misconception that you see golfers having from, from a concept side of things, really, uh, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we can do this in, in two ways. Um, if we were to say, let's say concept from a strike perspective, one of the things that really uh, get some, well, not get someone else, but definitely misunderstood is you can see the blood boiling already um, is vertical low point and when we describe low point i think everyone's really good at defining what low point is and they say the lowest point of the arc right and everyone seems to get it and then let's say you were to hit the ground and duff it for example and you ask them where was the low point and they would say behind and you're thinking well on the second the lowest point of the arc is the lowest point of the arc so that would therefore be the lowest part of the divot right so are you pointing at the lowest part of the divot or the entry? Yeah, yeah. Because your lowest part of the divot is actually after the door, <laughs> where you've combed over it. You're yeah. pointing at the entry point. And, um, and that's one of the biggest misconceptions, because what they then tend to do is to go, oh, my low point is too far behind. I need to move it forwards. And they do. And let's say they hit ball first. It's brilliant. But it comes out low and like a rocket. And then they go struggling at the high shot. And the trouble is you sort of won't if you're attacking the ball. And that's a misconcept, the idea of understanding what the lowest point of the arc is and what it looks like from the ground perspective. And then actually changing that and saying, right, actually, you know what? I've just made a massive divot and a duff. Yeah, okay, it was before the ball, but the lowest point of the arc is actually super, super deep. What if I raise that low point up? What happens? And all of a sudden, you start to then sweep the ground. The next minute, it's crisp. All of a sudden, height is much easier to gauge. And it's one of the forever circles that always comes up in, in my lessons. So from a conceptual standpoint regarding technique, 
that's one of the biggest misconceptions i i believe and would and would you say that that's is that's down to i suppose in almost in layman's terms that trying to hit down on the ball on a chip shot is that the sort of thing that we that, that can lead to that or what else can lead to that yeah that can be um at the same time actually now I think it depends on the generation. So we've got a lot of yes. people going on YouTube and, you know, the young guys getting used to bounce, this, that, and the other, be shallow. You hear that one a lot. So they swing it, you know, around their backside and try and, you know, throw the golf club as early as possible. But they're just throwing the low point further and further into the ground um, at the same time. And I agree, you know, you can gain some height, you can use the sole, which can be, let's say, more forgiving. I'm actually starting to find it actually comes from people trying to be shallow now these mm. days. And that's the other bearing of it. And actually, again, you know what? You can hit a lot closer to the ball if you were to swing a little bit more down into it. So, you, do you know what I mean? You can hit closer towards yeah. it. And they go, well, you can't do that because I'll hit a massive divot. And then you go, right, I see where everyone's going now. <laughs> and uh, you can swing down but not cause a divot, providing you say you don't continue to move down. So let's say the fact that, you know, got the ground, if you were to push the club in the ground, that's sort of the direction you're, you say, throwing the golf club. Now, if you were to push the club along the ground rather than into it, all of a sudden, you know, yes, it will be a shallow interaction, but you can do that from, let's say, you know, by, by swinging down, once mm -hmm. you then hit the ground, if you then push the club along and then away, you'd actually create this lovely U, which mm -hmm. is what everyone likes the idea of. But when people say shallow, all of a sudden people swing like pancakes. <laughs> yeah. And not only with the pancake, they also swing very deep at the same time. Mm. And then they hit miles behind, make these big chunks. So, yeah, actually it's a combination of, of that. I think the older guys with the whole ball back, hands forward idea, yeah, you know, they're the ones that are going right down, compress it, squeeze it, etc. And maybe, yeah, it can come from both areas combination of both we're the older guys now yeah. well. <laughs> just, just realize we're the older guys um just interest, interest in there alex just listening to you um and for the listeners for this we're obviously talking a lot about the club and how it interacts with the ground um how much you know when people come in come to you for coaching how much are you educating them on how the club should be interacting with the ground because i know when we coach a lot of people you know, the majority of our lessons are average golfers. None of them are even thinking about the ground. They're all trying to avoid the ground. They're all thinking about being really precise, hitting on the back of the golf ball. How much of that education do you see is important in the coaching process when you're when you when you're dealing with the students? I think that's a great question, and I think it's vital because you know a lot of people would say, right, well, I'm thinning it, and I would say, right, well, if you thin it, have you hit the ground? And they go. Uh, probably not, unless you're, you know, going over the top of it and, and filling it on the downswing, maybe. That'd be the only other um, way or picking it on the way up. But, and then the second question would be, all right, do you need to hit the ground in order to hit a decent shot? And all of a sudden the cogs start turning the go, yeah, I probably do. I said, right, well, so normally a decent place to start then is if we need to hit the ground in order to hit a good shot, what does good ground interaction look like? And then once you start to conceptually understand, you know what, people can do things uh, much better than they realize. It's actually the understanding. I always believe the fact that understanding creates movement. You know, you'd be amazed how many ways people move. You start to really get into their minds and understand what they believe and are trying to do. And then they're doing exactly what they believe and thinking, yeah, you, you can do what you're saying, but you're, you know what I mean? You know, actually, you need to re-educate them. Definitely, that's part of the process. A million percent. Yeah, it's 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 huge, isn't it? We've seen it so so many times, and it's just I think for I think back to a few years ago. Was, I don't know how many years ago when we saw Stan Utley Pierce years yeah. ago at the golf show, and he was the one who let's say opened our minds a little bit more to like like he was saying just hit at the ground, not at the golf ball. Hit at the yeah. ground, not at the ball, and. An amazing thing happens when you really understand how the club works and how it should interact with the ground. You're not trying to be super precise. It tends to free things up. The tension tends to go and you realize that you've got so much room for error compared to yeah. being that super precise and trying to hit down on the back of the ball and then duffing it, 
thinking the problem is something else, as you mentioned earlier, and then sort of going down a rabbit hole that just makes things worse, really. Yeah, this is it, right? And, you know, if one of the things I would always say is if you're making a massive divot, do you need to hit ball first? And they're like, yeah, yeah you do. Because if I land even just a little bit behind it, you know about it quite quickly. So when you start to understand the correct ground interaction, you then go, right, can you hit before the ball now? And they go, yeah, I probably could. Wouldn't be like, you know, maybe perfect. In fact, you know, the ball might slide up, which can be, you know, um, you know, you might actually want that. But um, then you go, right, well, actually, how far behind can you actually hit it? And the margin of error is huge when you start getting the right ground interaction, like you were saying. And I think that's a massive mental freedom part that, that comes into, you know, people's minds and they go, you know what, I'm not even worried about the ball now. I'm not worried about duffing it and the sense of relief in people's minds so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great to watch I love to see, I see it every day and uh, I never get bored of it it's yeah it is it's look I mean for, for us it's, it's it's huge it really is one question that we get asked a lot whenever we put anything up there whether it be in our members group or online on social that it's like well that's okay because often when we're demonstrating it, we might be doing it here in the UK and you've got a lush grass and it looks like it's sitting up a little bit more. But then you get golfers all around the world and they'll be listening to this as well. What about if you've got really firm fairways? What about if there's no grass on there? What about if it's into the grain? And what are your thoughts on that? Because I know this bit so, of people listen to this now and going, well, it's okay for you guys playing off nice, beautiful grass, but what about when the grass isn't so good? Yeah, so you get found out maybe slightly more. Uh, there's no doubt about that. So into the grains, maybe a different topic um, versus like, let's say wet ground and hard ground, right? So I always like to use the analogy of like a frozen bit of butter or um, let's say some bread. And you're going to have to stick with me here for a minute. It sounds quite <laughs> odd. But let's say I've got a knife, right? And I was going to cut some... Let, let, let's say butter, because I think that's an easier one to understand. And I'm going to go horizontal with it, right, and cut a very small sliver at the top. Now, I'm actually not cutting a lot of butter. I'm cutting, you know, a very small small bit. Now, if I was to go horizontally into uh, the butter, sorry, horizontal, again, my words mixed up there, it's a uh, diagonal rather than horizontal, and I cut through the, the whole thing quite, quite easily. So let's replace that with then a spoon. Right. And again, I'm going to go diagonal straight through the butter. I'm not actually going to work into it that much. I might get halfway into the block, but I'll start then kicking back out. Then you go horizontal and I'll along it with a spoon. And you know what? It bounces straight off the top. So the moral of the story is depending how much of a knife you have and how soft the ground is all depends on how much you can work into the ground, right? So you'll start to find the fact that when people go to the Open Championship, you're starting to find actually the sole bounces off that turf really, really quickly. And again, you know what? Like, I actually can basically throw this thing into the ground quite hard to get that lean edge underneath it, knowing it's going to basically springboard back off it. Or I need a lot less bounce because of, you know, so I can get easier that lean edge underneath it. As soon as it becomes wet, guess what? You're going to need all that sole. You you know, let's say you put the butter in the microwave and you get a spoon and you go and you bang on top of it. It just goes splat, doesn't it? Right. So all of a sudden, you don't have that margin of error to throw the thing into the ground anymore. Actually, you've got to be way more precise, or they say have lots more sole to give yourself more margin of error. The idea of the sole was to bounce the lowest point of the arc up sort of the whole idea and my mindset of how I see it and do people need it to be bounced up some people don't necessarily it all depends on how they interact with the ground and harder services yeah okay you can throw it in there quite hard and that divot just won't appear because you'll just keep on bouncing off it and then you go into some really wet ground even with the biggest sole in the world you can still throw it quite deep so changing them variables or change or how you use the soul is quite important on them two lives. And, and you know, this is why short game is a big pain point for, for people, because if you think about hitting a seven iron ball followed by the turf, it's, there's not really much that we need to change, you know, whether it's firm conditions or soft conditions, you're not going to change it too much, but 
there's so many variables when it comes to it, you know, you, how your technique would change and the conditions that you've got, the bounce angles that you've got. And it's, it's just a, there's a lot more to go, let's say wrong, really. Um, just quickly on this, just thinking about it earlier, when it comes to understanding the interaction with the ground, is there anything from a, that you like to see? I'm thinking of the listeners to this in terms of the questions they might ask in terms of, let's say, shuffling or ball position, almost like a starting point. Is there anything that you like to sort of go, well, here's a great place to start and here's maybe where you want to avoid going? It's a really, really good question. Um, it depends uh, on the lie conditions, I'm sure. But Yeah, of course, because um, I've always found the fact that like the whole idea of ball back, hands forward, like a lot of people in the past won so many major championships like it and didn't duff it. And they play bump and runs. And you think, well, it can't be wrong. It's maybe misunderstood these days on how they played it. But effectively, it's just a low shot. And then people are now saying, right, you need to therefore have the ball forwards. You need to release the golf club. Actually, you're just playing a high shot. They're mm-hmm. actually just two ends of the spectrum. They, they're not, this is how to do it and this is how not to do it. They're just two completely different shots. So I guess the starting point would be possibly be the middle <laughs> from that point of view maybe saying that's again like a middle ball position a sharp lane that maybe is a say just over the ball not too far forwards you know certainly not backwards from that point and maybe a release style where if you were to release it and finish you would have the club maybe parallel like pointing at your belt buckle or something like that that would be a pretty in the middle sort of idea, good go-tos in that sense. Because if you think about the other two ends of the spectrum, ball back, hands forward, when you finish the golf shot, probably you're going to hold on to it and the loft's going to point down. You're going to hit a low shot and the complete other end of the spectrum would be ball forwards, maybe some open loft and you release it and the club would be pointing more up towards the sky. So I think a good place is to start in the middle, understand both other ends of the scale are just different shots rather than you know don't do this and do do this yeah so it's just i suppose having a having a baseline where you start from which is more of a neutral but then having the options to go high and low and move off that when the situation presents itself really yeah because i think that's so important i'm a big person on spectrums right so you know around the green you need to play it high and low um you're gonna have to play it on so many different slopes, get the ball to react in so many different ways and actually hit it at so many different distances. The variables around the green are astonishing and you're never really in the same place. So it sort of doesn't really make sense to practice the same shot or have yeah. one technique, you know, um, unless you're, if, if you're hitting a driver, it's a little bit different because the ball's on a tee, you're swinging at the same sort of speed, same length, trying to do, you can do roughly the same thing with it over and over again, right? The variables are way less. So you can be way more blocky. Around the green, if you're blocky, you're just waiting for that one situation to fit in your favor. And when it happens, you go, I'm brilliant. As <laughs> soon as that ball slightly, you know, sits differently, you need to do something slightly differently with the ball, and you haven't been practicing like that, guess what? It's going to find you out straight away. And you yeah. turn around and go, I'm rubbish. But I believe the fellow that's because people don't explore the spectrums. Instead of having a technique, I think you should have a middle and explore both ends. Find out how to do both. Maybe you might prefer one, but around a golf, you're going to have to explore many different spectrums around the green to adapt well. You know, there's so many people that want to be consistent at golf, but golf is very variable so <laughs> it doesn't make sense to practice consistency in variability in fact to get in a consistent outcome you need to be adaptable to variable for consistent outcomes mm-hmm. and if you view it like that i think people will actually therefore look at it very differently yeah golf is we always talk about it golf is just chaos really you never know what you're going to get out there so you're best preparing for chaos rather than preparing for an ideal round of golf and then and then because that's just never going to happen really um, yeah it's when then people turn around and go uh, oh it's perfect conditions today can't wait I shot the best ever round. <laughs> yeah yeah you practiced in that a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um, let's talk this one's a this one's a good one let's talk acceleration 
Um, this is, we know what our thoughts on this. I'd love to get your thoughts on acceleration from what you see. Um, yeah, let, let's just talk acceleration. Okay, love this subject. So acceleration. Now, have you seen Shane Larry ship? Yep. Okay, so around the back of his head and he stops like on his kneecap on the way through. Yeah. I'm looking at it again. That's just one like massive D cell. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. if you think about it in your mind and you go, right, well, acceleration, deceleration, you'd speak to many people and they go, what causes a duff? And I'm thinking, well, you know what? If I just decel on this golf club, the club just travels less fast. And if I accelerate, it might travel a bit faster. So speed, right? That's all it really is. Now, it does have a loft effect as well. So if you were to accelerate your, let's say your hands, for example, and you're to just swing to, let's say, you know, club parallel to your right and swing really fast to your left-hand side, what you'll find is the head weight at the bottom of the golf club will start to then tilt back behind you and you actually create a lot more shaft length. Now, if you were to then swing above your head and then just decel on the way down, you'll start to find the headway starts to fall, you know, unless you're literally gripping it, um, you know, like the Hulk, the headway will start to fall and actually just fall to the bottom, basically where the club realigns itself with the head um, hanging at the, at the bottom of the arc. And then you start to think, well, actually, it sort of makes sense why Shane sort of decels to hit them high shots mm. because he's allowing the headway to basically release in front of them if he was to excel he would have a much harder job of doing that and he'll probably hit the ball to so far because he's swimming behind his head anyway so yeah and yeah where that concept comes from it comes from two different ends i find because a lot of people try to accelerate because they think they're decelling one um you know, you can look at it from the putting point of view. If you don't swing far enough back and you see the pin miles away, you might turn around and go, you know what, I need to hit it a bit harder to get to that back. And you might jab at it and accelerate. The other part is when people go, I duffed it because I decelled. Now, if you were to hit the ground and take a divot, the club is colliding with something. So... The club's therefore stopping now it's not stopping you yet at, at the end of the day mm -hmm. so at the very bottom it's getting stuck you're still going your hands continue forwards you continue forwards but the club stops and as soon as that club stops all of a sudden you look at your hands and go well i've created i've created loads of shuffling now well yeah that will happen if it stops yeah if it collides or something imagine if you to hit a brick wall in front of you you'd start creating you know one it would feel decelled because you've hit a brick wall and two, you'll create some shuffling, right? So, yeah, we get to that position. And because the club has slowed down, we look, we, you know, as a feeling, we turn around and go, you know what? I've, I've duffed it. I must have decelled because I feel the club slowing down. That's not you. That's the club getting stuck. And going back to the subject of intergrain, a lot of people feel like they're duffing it intergrain, you know, because you're basically hitting a lot of, surface area you know there's lots of strong grass growing in the direction of the golf club and it's slowing it down so you know i mean we'll, we'll get onto that maybe in another part but there's ways on how to speed that club up through that interaction without trying to jab it. but yeah acceleration because of them two misconceptions is always a tricky one to again re-educate people so, you, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't remember the last time I gave a lesson and said, said to somebody that they need to speed up or they need to accelerate the, their, their stroke. So what you're saying then, Alex, would you say it's better to create the speed by having a longer swing than accelerating more so through impact? Definitely, especially if you're looking for height, for sure as well. Yeah, I mean, a smooth tempo, I don't think anyone's um, said that's really a bad thing. So, yeah, why accelerate, right? You're going, oh, I love the smooth tempo of Shane Larry. All right, well, why, why, why are you trying to accelerate and jab at them? You know, it, the two ideas don't, don't cross, do they? So for the listeners to this who have a bad short game and they think they're decel and they're trying to accelerate, 
It's Let's get rid ground. of that thought. It's the ground. The ground is stopping the <laughs> yeah. club. But the commentators don't help on this either. They all say, oh, he must have decelled on that. Was a, that was a decel on that. And we go, oh, God, what are you doing to our, our average golfers? You're killing them. Yeah. You're killing them. And, then, and, and, and they say it because they finish opposite their left hope. And you're thinking, well, you do really well to stop there on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the club's got caught. And if you look at it, every time. Um, we've got nowhere near through our questions, by the way. Not at all. Uh, but there's some good ones here. I, I want to just talk about this one point because I'm, I'm really interested in this. And that is when it comes to, um, let's say, short game. And and I suppose this might depend on the, the standard of golfer. Obviously, the majority of our, our listeners are amateur golfers. Where should their focus be in terms of um, internal, external? I, I, I see a lot of this in terms of with some of the, 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 the people that I coach, when I get them club focused and what the club needs to do, the body sometimes takes care of the movement. How much should be, how much should they be focusing on the body to create the right movement of the club or the club to create the right movement of the body, if that makes sense? <laughs> how much should oh, be club a... focus? How much should be internal focus? I think, uh, it, it, yeah, it does really depend on the player if that makes sense uh, a lot of a, at the end of the day the body is controlling the golf club and spinning which i don't know radio signal uh, the guy listens to, or the girl even uh, listens to um they might find that for that let's say releasing the head right for um for an example where they might feel that is could be anything from that point of view you know is it and you start then turning around and and because they're focusing on the head and doing it, they might not need to focus on a body movement. That might not be good enough for someone else. And I guess that's the beauty about coaching. It's all about the communication, isn't it? And then you go, right, well, if you could just maybe do this with this body part, or if the body part doesn't get here and you're a bit more here, this will happen. And they go, oh, yeah, that's way easier to you know achieve that part. So, yeah, it can be both. They They've both worked um, from that point of view regarding that's you know a, a technique to gain an outcome. Um, but I've always found body works for most people. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's just it's just sussing out the the person when you're there, how they learn, what they might need, and um, yeah, I think sometimes from from my experience is sometimes people can get so bogged down with with what they're feeling maybe in the left arm or the thinking about the body and then they can forget really what, what this is trying to do. But I suppose, again, that's the education part as well, isn't it? Understanding what this could be doing as well. Just an interesting topic that I've been thinking about recently, really. Yeah, on, on that bit you just said there, because a lot of people focus on body movements because they've seen it from somewhere, um, you know, or a drill. Let's say the right arm drill. All right, so they're focusing on the right arm. What's it doing? You know, and they go, I don't know, I'm just doing a drill. And thinking, well, if you're doing a drill and it's better, something's changed. Um, and if you don't know what's changed, you can't therefore apply it in two hands. So you've got to understand what it's changing to the movement or the delivery. And then when they go back to two hands, they're rubbish <laughs> because they don't understand what it's done. So I so, said, well, you're effectively getting really good at party tricks. You know, because you're not understanding what <laughs> it's changing. <laughs> so yeah, from from what you've just said there, like a lot of people do focus on body movements, but my God, the amount of irrelevant body movements is the killer. Yeah, relevance is is, is very different. Yeah, yeah. Think about the right things, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Let's let's switch gears a little bit into mindset, and let's just give you a scenario. You've got a, a, a golfer turns up for a golf lesson, and they start. Okay, they hit a couple of nice shots, you know, the ball goes okay, and they say, oh, look, I'm really struggling with confidence because as soon as I hit a bad one, oh, there it is, they duff it a foot in front of them. And suddenly they've gone, they've, they've, they've melted, there's nothing, they, they can't hit a good shot now. For them, it's very much a confidence issue. And for us, myself and Andy, we know what we would do with something like that, but it's always good to know from yourself, what would be the, the journey back for that golfer and showing them how to build confidence 
And basically, what, what, what sort of things would you go through with that person straight away? They've literally duffed one really badly. They can't hit a good shot. What's your sort of process that you're looking at? Because there'll be loads so, of people listening to this, by the way, who are going, right, Alex, I need to hear what you're about to say. Hmm? <laughs> it's all to do with the feedback loop. All right. Um, Phil Kenyon's got, he, he makes some really good diagrams on this. Um, but the feedback loop should be, why did I duff it and what caused it? If the question mark is, I don't know, the next part should be get a lesson yes. on why, right? Now, if they're in front of me and we're going why, we'll go over basically the reasons they have duffed it, for example. And again, yeah, right. If you do this, it will cause this. If you do that, it will cause that. You know, it might be one reason, there might be two reasons. Let's say it doesn't happen for one shot and then it happens again. Question, right? Why? you've made that grand interaction why you know and it'll be again one of them two reasons you start to go it wasn't that one but it might have been that one yeah you're right it is that one next one's good again you only really get into this loop of hitting bad work bad shots bad shots and you know and and you continue to hit bad shots when you don't understand what caused it if you know you know it's like with a seven if you know why you hit it left the next one doesn't go left and the good players are very good at, you know, not hitting another bad shot, right? You hear that quite all the time, right? Now, I I, I top one, I fat one, I hook it up. Yeah, I've got every shot in the locker. But I don't hit it again. And I don't go, oh, I'm a rubbish golfer. You know, that's not actually what goes through my head. I go, right, well, I topped that one because I didn't hit the ground. And I've fatted that one because I've done X, Y, Z. And I've hooked it because I've done this in my swing. So the next one, I just don't do it because I've got a real good feedback loop of relevant information that controls strike and flight. If you can create good feedback loops, you always get yourself out the rabbit hole. If you haven't got the feedback loop, you need a lesson in how to make a good feedback loop. Yeah, I think it's simple, isn't it? Like you said, if you if you if you hear a bad shot and then you don't know why, you, well, spending time there trying to figure it out is quite hard, isn't it? You need that support and help to go. Okay, that clarity of okay, I understand that. Then now I can start to correct when it when it when it does show up. I suppose. Yeah, Dave Powell uh, was here not that long ago, and he he, he uh, described those control mechanisms. I really like that term because he would be like, well, if it goes over there, I've got this mechanism to understand that I can make it go the other way, or you know, not duff it, or play it high, or play it, you know, whatever it might be. He's just got these real good feedback loops for control mechanisms on when things happen, but it allows him again, from a spectrum point of view, to understand both parts, find the middle. I, I thought it was a, it was a brilliant time. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the biggest questions we get asked, Alex, is um, how do we how do I judge how hard I need to hit it, and what are your thoughts on how to train, feel, and distance control for for the listeners? I'm so glad you asked this because I get this all the time. Um, it was actually one of the lessons today. So I hope he's not a listener. But anyway, so let's say I've got a scenario, I chip a ball when it's gone 20 foot past the hole. I always ask, why has it gone 20 foot past? And the, always the answer is, I've hit it too hard. So the question is after that, I go, right, well, how far past your land spot did you, did you land it? And they go, oh, um, hold on. And they think, rethink over the shot. And they go, maybe two feet. So fine. Where's the other 18 feet from? Because if you really think of pace control, it's there's a lot of factors, right? You've got, yeah, okay. How far you swing it? Uh, the tempo that you do, the loft, the spin, wind, if you really wanted to, the lie. Then you've got then the green, how firm it is, how fast it is. Is it what's it landing on? What's it rolling on? There's quite a lot of factors going on here to create pace control. And people just see it as swing length. And it's like, well, you know, there's, there's one puzzle in that sense, right? So if you were to hit, let's say, a bump and run to the other end of the green, you probably wouldn't land it next to the hole, vice versa, a flop shot. Um, 
and you wouldn't hit it at the front of the green to get to the back. So you do have to match the elements of environment as well as then fly and then how far you fly the ball onto the green with a certain fly. There's, there's a combination of, of all three in that sense. So one, what's your problem? Now, as a good game that um, James Richard showed me, and it was basically where you start putting some land spots out and it's got to be relevant to a flag. So let's say you land at, in land zone number one, which is right at the beginning of the green, always relevant to a flag. And you go, right, how on earth do I land in that spot but get it pin high? And then you start to do the mass equations in your head. You go, I, need, I might need to hit this one low. Now, if you're landing on a downslope, you might actually have to hit it high. You know, it all depends on these factors in that sense. When you start placing a towel on the green or just a land spot on its own with no target involved, you're just training your tempo, length of swing and how hard you hit it because it's one element of of many. So I would call it a full speed drill because there's no reaction. You're not really that dialed in on loft. You're not probably looking, you're probably doing it off one lie. You're just training how hard you hit it. So, so from your point, Andy, if I was going to train how far to land stuff, I'll just do it purely on landing. I might even put a ball out and try and land it on the ball. But it depends if that's someone's problem. More often than not, when I put land spots out, people are really good at landing on them. But they're nowhere near the hole. <laughs> so it's actually this whole thing of, all right, well, it's that matching scenario that goes on. And the question should be every single time, I've gone 20 foot past, have I landed 20 foot past my land spot? The answer is always no. I think you're right. It's there's, so much, there's so much involved in it, isn't there? And I think that the key is that the golfer really should just take notice of what's going on, whether it's like you say, looking at the land spots, but also what's the green actually doing? What was the lie doing? You know, what, what was the elevation that I had on the shot? So there are so many things. So I think it's just, I suppose, I suppose that the hard part is if I think about chipping greens here in the UK, and maybe even when you go into the States where facilities are generally good, but a lot of them can be quite flat, can't they? And it's just literally like, you know, you're practicing long chip and runs at best. It's it, So for me, it's about getting on the golf course, playing golf by yourself and going, right, let's put myself in these scenarios. Even put yourself in the scenarios that you're going to play in the, the club medal, but at least understanding it on a higher level. So, okay. yeah, definitely. Right. If, if you want some real good, if, if you want some real good golden rules, um, let's say you get to a green on the golf course, just ask yourself, where's green and flat? Really good rule. And you start to then look at the whole idea and you go, well, there's a flat spot there and there's a flat spot there. And you go, right, in order to land in them two flat spots, what trajectory do I need to get it pin high? I need a low one there and a high one there. Third part, which one can you pull off? Maybe more often than not. And trust me, that little um, routine <laughs> shave strokes automatically. Love it. Simple. Very simple. Um, let's get into the 30, 50 yarders, the, the shot that everybody loves to play. Um, what, why are they so hard for people, these, these sort of these 30 to 50 yarders? A lot of the tour pros won't necessarily even practice those. They'll sort of just make sure they, they're left with maybe more distance. Um, and for the average golfer, there's two questions to this, I suppose. Why are they so difficult? And also, where should the average golfer, when it comes to pitching, spend most of their time training in terms of yardages okay so i'll answer the second question first for the amateurs wherever they hit the most shots from simple as that right down after let's say five rounds of golf how, how many times do i use a wedge from what distance and um, there's nothing that bugs me more than people practicing with seven irons when they haven't hit a seven iron for five rounds of golf <laughs> you know it's just what you're doing um but so yeah flat out that's the easiest way of doing it now the 30 to 50 yarders why is it so hard um i had this conversation i saw uh, a really good player this morning marco penge and this is exactly what we we're doing this morning and i've just done a film with titleist um at the performance center at Wyburn covering this part so 
yeah, you, depending whoever gets first and releasing this uh, <laughs> will have my answer. So the reason why it's hard. Um, now, if you were to, I think people see this as a pitch shot at the end of the day. So they see it as ball first, ground second, and a bit of a compress. Now, when that happens, the ball comes out fairly low. Uh, if you want to put numbers on it, let's say 25 to 30 degrees worth of launch. Now, because of that, and you're compressing it, the ball comes out fairly hot. And as a result, you probably need to swing to your kneecap to make sure it doesn't go too far. As it flies in then low and you're swinging to your kneecap, um, one, it's quite hard to swing that short and that aggressive. But two, it flies in too low. Um, it might have some spin, but it will land, you know, and bounce maybe five times before it gets to the end of the green. So I think at the back flags, people find this actually okay. The front flags, they just, they generally don't know what to do. So the way I define pitch and chip is, are you compressing or non-compressing it? Because if you think of a chip shot, you wouldn't really squeeze the ball, would you? So you're sweeping it as such. Now, when you sweep it, the ball comes off a hell of a lot softer, you know, and so the ball speed is down, the launch goes up, and because of that, you can hit it a lot harder. So you don't need to swing to your kneecap anymore. You can swing, let's say, up to your shoulder. And effectively, it's a big chip shot. Now, because, of you, because you can swing it harder, you actually maintain the spin level. That's the weirdest part. I've done so much testing on quad on this. And, you know, hitting 50 yarders, one compressing it, one chipping it. And the spin levels are the same because the clubbed speeds are so different. But the way the ball comes out, it's one's so much softer, one's much more penetrating and harder. So they're actually effectively big chip shots, in my view, depending on the flag position. If it's at the front, chip it. If it's at the back, you can do either depending on how you want that ball to come into the green now at 70 yards you can compress it number two if you're trying to chip at 70 yards you might have to swing around your head um <laughs> it's quite hard to get it there so but you can compress it at 70 reason being yes it launches low and you can swing up to waist height now but it has enough time in the air to basically drag in the wind and reach a certain peak. And weirdly enough, at 70 yards pitching it versus 40 yards chipping it, you can get the same descent angle, yeah. weirdly enough. Um, and all of a sudden, you've got the same stopping power. So this is why 70 yards and above, people have got no problem. They have the clarity in their mind is, I'm going to compress it and pitch it. And they get to 50, it's almost too short of a swing. The ball comes out too low. They can't get it to the hole. And then again, you know, they say it's a, it's a completely brain fart from that point of view. And I, I like to call it the, the grey zone. What do I do? Do I pitch it or do I chip it? And yeah, it's something that always comes um, as a question. And there's two stories to it. I think there's a really good video on uh, that Taylor made did with Dustin Johnson with the wedge fit. And it's all right, can you just hit some 50 yarders? He was like, no, <laughs> just flat up refused. And then you got the idea of James Seekman with uh, Charlie Hoffman and he got him to just hit it as close to the hole as possible. And Charlie Hoffman said, well, I feel like I'm hitting worse shots. But averagely, he was still closer to the hole than he was from 80 yards, even though 80 yards, he was feeling like he was hitting better shots. So, and the statistics are the closer you are to the hole, the more chance you've got to turn it closer from, you know, an average. So being really skillful, or should I say, being able to produce that shot from 30 to 50 yards from a strokes game point of view is huge. It's no wonder why everyone struggles with it. You can see it in the stats. But I think people struggle with it is because they don't know what to do. Yeah. So, so for the listeners to this, treat it more like a, a chip shot. You know, that's going to enable them to, to sweep it more as opposed to drive it, let's say, like a, a 70 to 100 yard shot. That's going to also, also enable them then to actually produce a longer swing, less acceleration and, and just change. I suppose it just starts again with intention, doesn't it? Well, what should I be doing in this shot? It's a long chip. It's more of a sweeping motion that then shapes the, the motion that they do. I like that. Exactly. Intention creates movement. Exactly. Always start there. Definitely.
And we, we, we've got a few more questions to go here. I want to talk a bit about the club and got some quick fire questions. But I think if we were to stop the podcast now and just recap, if everyone listening to this now went out with the intention of what would it be like to just brush the ground? And what would it, what would it take to do that? And even if it's just go out there and just have some practice swings, get that feeling of that brush and that drag of the grass, as opposed to taking the top layer of the grass off and digging into the ground. I think that would just help so many people. We talk about consistency all the time. How do we cons- how do we create consistency in something which is chaos? You know, I think with short game, it's a huge part of being able to brush the ground, having a great interaction between club and ground. So I think there's been some good stuff here. But let- let's talk a little bit about the club before we get into the quick fire. So let's think about for the average golfer. Doesn't play a lot of golf probably plays, maybe gets one practice session in a week or nine holes in the week and then plays at the weekend. How do they go about maybe either building a set of clubs or how do they go about picking a club to chip with? Because they're not going to have loads of time to practice the variability so much. So we kind of have to like a a Swiss army knife wedge that they can actually play these shots with. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, if you don't have a lot of time to practice, which many of us don't, uh, don't know how much you guys practice, but um, yeah, I, I normally play. <laughs> not enough. <laughs> but, not, um, not enough. <laughs> not enough. Exactly right. That's always the answer. So, if you're not going to be able to adapt your, let's say, you know, we'll call it technique, and not reach the ends of the spectrum, and you're only going to sit, let's say, in the middle of the spectrum, um, then you've got all 14 clubs in the bag for a reason, and I would just start with master let's say one shot understand let's say how each club in your bag launches understand then how what what the relevance of that launch is depend you know relevant to let's say the green complex and what the conditions are and where you bounce it to get the right pace control and then effectively, you've got, let's say, four shots around the green just with four golf clubs. That would be the simplest way and the quickest way to, to do it. And, you know, you might not have a flop shot, don't get me wrong, but it's uh, it's a start for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, yeah, I think it's just about, again, it's, yeah. I think, I think you'll, you'll find one that you can fit for you and it'll be the one that you'll always want to fall back to. And I think we see a... I think there's a there's a lot of because of obviously we have 60 degree wedges, we do see a lot of golfers go into that trap and go, well, if I need to get height, then I have to go with the 60. And I think from what you're saying there, you know, you know, you can get height with a 52. It's one thing I've worked out with my chipping recently and going, well, what would it require to actually chip with a 52? Andy chips a lot with his 52. I think he's pretty competent with that. I don't really I avoid that club. I go more 56 and then go higher loft. But you can still hit those high shots with a 52 when you understand, you know, playing around with the ball positions potentially and looking at those ends of the spectrum. Pierce likes to accelerate really hard on the way through and create loads of chaplain. Yeah, come on, big Chaplin, baby. <laughs> yeah, and, and, that's, and that's the other way of looking at it, right? Is uh, actually just picking one golf club and just figuring out how to de-loft it and, and add loft. Yeah, you can you can look at it in, in both ways. I totally agree. Yeah. Right, let's get into quickfire. Alex, thank you for your time so far. Uh, we've got a few quickfire that we generally finish with. Um, best piece of advice that you've have that you've had from a career point of view, um, or from a short game point of view. From a short game point of view, um, the knife only cuts in the direction you throw it. The knife only cuts in the direction you throw it. I like it. I like I like the knife and spoon analogy. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like, I like that. That's good. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people think, yeah, they say shaft lane, blah, blah, you know, cause a dig. Well, depends if you're throwing it into the ground. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, worst advice that you hear in short game? Oh, I'm going to get so much hate for this. I'm going to say it though. Uh, the term use the bounce. How should people be thinking about it instead? Um, It's so individual. That's the thing. Um, And it depends on what shot you're trying to play as well. I would just say what things you need to do 
to be functional. Think of it more from an individuality point of view, because when people say just use the bounce, I think people just interpret that as just throw the club into the ground and throw your hands. And it's like, well, if that worked, everyone would be decent, wouldn't they, by now? Yeah. But sometimes I actually find it's made quite a lot of people worse. So, yeah, I would just find out what works for you um, rather than anything else. Brilliant. Um, Best short game on tour? Oh. You know what? Someone that's really understated is Webb Simpson. Webb Simpson. He's awesome. Um, but Shane Why Larry's so good. Really cool and, and, and Cam Smith. Statistically, um, yeah. Webb Simpson chooses the right shots that he can play to get the ball close to the hole. I'm a big score person. Yeah. You know, as much as some people can do really fancy stuff like Abraham Answer and, and Phil Mickelson. Um, yeah, stats might suggest different. What's the best thing about golf? You know what? Uh, I was chatting to someone the other day. The fact that anyone can play it and win. That's my favourite part about it. The fact that I can, you know, well, a good friend of ours, you know, Richard, play golf with him at JCB. Standing on the first tee going, I could win. Now I was thinking, what other sport can you actually do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, play tennis against like, well, you know, you know, a no, professional not... tennis player. It's not going to happen, is it? That's the best part about golf for me. Yeah. Brilliant. Right, final one. Um, Sevi or Phil? Oh, such a good one. Um, Sevi. Yeah. Got to be. I mean, it's tough, but Sevi, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not really a yeah. wrong answer, is yeah, there? Yeah, no, there's no wrong answer. <laughs> no. Two incredible, incredible um, talents there. Um, Alex, look, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. And, and we, we sort of said before this that, we'll, you know, there's so much that we can talk on here and there's so much that we haven't talked about. It'll be great to get you back on at some point to, to dig a little bit deeper. Hey. <laughs> With that knife. Yeah, exactly. With that knife. <laughs> but no, I'm really enjoy it. Um, where can the listeners uh, sort of follow you? Where are you best and most active, really, I suppose, on social? Yeah, Instagram's always a good one. I don't really use any of the other ones, even though I've got them. But uh, Alex Buckner Golf and then website is um, Alex Buckner Golf as well. Perfect. We'll put uh, that in dot com. Perfect. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes yeah. and if you're in the UK or even if you're not in the UK and you want to come and see Alex, then, um, you know, check his website. And I'm sure they can go through that and, and contact you regarding any coaching at all. Yeah, exactly. My uh, my email is on there and my online diary is on there. And uh, yeah, just chuck me a DM. I'm yeah, really good at responding. Actually, I try and respond to everyone ASAP. So uh, yeah, any questions, just give me a shout. Brilliant. Super. Thanks. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. And we'll, we'll definitely do this again soon. Yeah, we'll catch up soon. Thanks so much. No, thank you. Thank you very much, guys, for having me. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Pleasure.